trust me. Jeremiah, the prophet, gets thrown into a cistern, a pit. He's sinking down in the mud. He's, in the, he's literally in the pits, the lowest of the lows. And yet in Lamentations chapter 3, all of a, some, all of a sudden something changes. His consciousness changes. In the darkest of hours, he receives mercy. He even says that God's mercies are new every morning. That they come again and again, even in unexpected times and places. And last week we, we talked about uh, St. Teresa of Avila and uh, Brother Lawrence. And we talked about the practice of the presence of God. Like the first mercy we receive to God is, is just the ability to come into his presence in every moment. And so today, as we continue talking about mercy, uh, I just want to share with you three quick stories. Really, really, it's just kids stuff and, and may sound super familiar. The first story comes from Luke chapter 19. I'll just read it for you, it's, uh, and it'll be on the screen as well. In Luke 19, it says that Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named, what's his name? Zachy. Oh, that's right. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was vertically challenged. <laughs> so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. By name. Zacchaeus, he said, quickly, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And the crowd gasped. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were, what's the word? Displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, which he had, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded simply, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus is always doing this. He's, he's meeting with notorious sinners and tax collectors. In, in the Luke chapter 15 and verses 1 and 2, it says um, that tax collectors and other notorious sinners. So like, I, I feel like I need to amend that a little bit because when I say tax collectors and notorious sinners, you're not thinking of anything really that bad. But So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just change those words. And, and instead of tax collector, I want you to read a child molester. Okay. Let's get the real weight of what's going on. Child molesters and other notorious sinners, that means that everybody knew who they were and what they had done, often came to Jesus to listen to him teach. And this made the good church-going folks unhappy. The Pharisees and teachers of religious law complained that he was associating with such sinful people, and they couldn't even imagine that he would eat with them. How can this guy eat with child molesters? What's he thinking? 
right? Even what Jesus does with Zacchaeus and calling him down and, and saying, today I'm going to be a guest in your house. Really, like in, in the Jewish culture, to have somebody in your home as a guest was an, an extension of friendship. How many friends do you think Zacchaeus had? Yet Jesus calls him out. Everybody knew who he was. They knew what he had done. And yet Jesus leans in, offers himself. Does, does, I mean, before Zacchaeus comes down or before Jesus goes into Zacchaeus' house, does Zacchaeus repent of his sins? Do you see Zacchaeus like, like offering, oh, is he, does he even ask for forgiveness? No, Jesus simply calls him out in, in the moment, in who Zacchaeus is, and says, hey, I'm going to your house today. And it says that others, tax collectors and notorious sinners, were drawn to him. It's something that happens again and again, especially in Luke's gospel. Jesus is always, it seems, surrounding himself with with broken, dishonest, and people with addictions and, and issues and problems. They were drawn to him for healing and teaching, yes. But I think the greatest mercy he offered them was love and acceptance. The entirety of Scripture has a message just for you. And it's likely the most important thing I will ever say and you could ever hear. And it's that God loves you unconditionally. God loves you unconditionally. I love the way Burning Manning puts it in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Go ahead and put that quote up there. Here's how Manning puts it. He said, he loves you beyond fidelity and infidelity. He loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness. He loves you in the morning sun and the evening rain. He loves you equally in your state of grace and in your state of disgrace. He loves you without caution. He loves you without regret, without boundary, without limit, and without breaking point. And no matter what happens or what you do, he can't stop loving you. You believe it? You see, what Jesus offered to those around him was love and acceptance. The mercy he offered was to go into Zacchaeus' house, was to accept Zacchaeus for who he was and where he was. Now, it's dangerous to talk about acceptance in our world today. Uh, I'll give you a great example. Um, uh, I had a, um, how do I put this? A spirited conversation um, with someone who had a different opinion about abortion than I had. Okay? I love that we were able to talk. I love that, that we were in a conversation, but we were definitely not on the same page. And part of the sticking point was this idea of acceptance because for this person, their, their definition of acceptance meant agreement. If I accept somebody, I have to agree with them and agree with their decisions and agree with what they've done. And I said, mm, I don't know about that. And she really challenged me and said, how can you say that you love someone but disagree 
with their choices. I saw my opportunity. I knew this woman and, and, and loved them still, amazing friends of ours. And I just said, you know, I, I knew a little bit of their story. And, and I knew that at this moment in time, they were having some, some issues with their son, specifically around some choices that their son had made. And I just asked her in this moment, and, and maybe it was a cruel, I, that, that whole balance of grace and truth is tough. But I, I, just, I, I just leaned in. I, I said, so to accept your son, that means you agree with all the choices your son is making right now. And she said, no, of course not. And I said, well, does that mean you don't love him anymore? She said, no, of course I love him. And, and, and I think that, like, like, there's this weird thing in our world today. Do you guys see this? Like, a s- acceptance and agreement, they, they seem to go together. Like, like and, and somehow, if you disagree with me, then we can't be friends. If you disagree with me, you're not accepting me, or you're not, you know what I'm saying? Like, and yet, I love the story of Jesus, the second story of today, that really, like, Jesus is always doing this. He's showing us a different option. Let me see if you pick up on it, too. It's in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, it says that Jesus entered to the Mount of Olives, or returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them, and as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the whole crowd, and they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? You see, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. You guys know this story? I'm so thankful we have this story. I'm so thankful we have this story. You see, for the Pharisees who brought the, brought the adulterous woman before Jesus, like her whole existence was, was summed up in what she had done. Do, do you see that? Like for the Pharisees, the value of this woman had nothing to do with who she was. It was all associated with what she had done. In fact, they don't even use her name. Her name is not mentioned in this. She doesn't have a name anymore. She doesn't get a name anymore. Who is she? She's the adulterous woman, right? Like she has a whole new identity. Her whole value is based on the sin that she has committed. She's not even a person. She's just an object, And I love that here we see an example of Jesus showing us something different. Because Jesus refuses to participate. I love that, right? 
Like they're, they're like, this is a black and white situation. And Jesus says, nope. And he kind of goes around in a completely different way. Like he viewed this woman as a person. It's a skill we need to practice as often as we can. He valued her despite and before her adulterous actions. Do you see that? He saw value in her. He saw this woman as whatever her name was. He saw her as a woman. Her value came because she was created by God. Now here's an important part. And her actions, no matter how sinful, no matter how heinous they were, could never take away from her value. Amen? Jesus said, sure, you've done this thing, but you are still valuable. Jesus returned to her what the Pharisees tried to take. It was her value. And I love that the mercy of God, the acceptance of God, is more about value than agreement. Because Jesus definitely doesn't agree with what she's done, right? In fact, he commends her, you know, like, go and sin no more. He said, he, he did not say, oh, well, that's all right. He didn't say, don't worry, just go on doing as you're doing. No, I, th- I think even in those few words, like, like he says, it's all wrong. It's, it's go out and fight and change your life from top to bottom. Go and sin no more. He doesn't even offer, he offers her acceptance, but he doesn't offer her easy forgiveness. He, he says, you know, but there's an opportunity for a second chance. We talk a lot about this idea that says, and John says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And like, like how to do both of those at the same time in, in the exact around, perfect amount is incredibly difficult. And Jesus was perfect at it, right? Do you see in this scenario, in this situation, like he pours grace into this situation, but he also pours truth in the exact perfect measure. It's almost impossible for us. But man, we've got to shoot for this grace and truth balance, especially as we extend acceptance to others. My dad was telling me about it. My dad's been in ministry my whole life. He's worked at the same church for almost 30 years. And uh, uh, he was teaching the the equivalent of what, what we would call the Horizons class, um, some of the senior adults at the church approached my dad and said, hey, you've been a minister a long time. We want you to teach us. We, we want you to teach us. We want you to teach our class. And specifically, they approached my dad and they said, we want you to teach us about prayer. And this was curious in my dad. My dad was like, well, most of you in this class have been Christians since you were kids. But you want to learn how to pray Yes, they said. We want to learn how to pray. Will you teach us how to pray? And my dad, just he just kind of leaned in. He just kind of pressed a little bit. He said, why, why do you want me to teach you about prayer? And the truth came out. What they said was, 
We want to make sure we're doing it right. There's a lot in that answer. Do you sense it? Like, it's, it's, it baffles me. Most of these men and women have been Christians their whole life. They've been through every season of life. They've been to church and they've been to Bible studies. They've, they've studied God's word. They've heard it presented to them a thousand times. And they've likely prayed a thousand times. And still, at the end of all of this, kind of as the season of their life is looking towards the future, looking towards change, they're still operating out of a place that attempts to somehow earn God's favor and acceptance. Do you see that? If we could just pray the right way, I want to make sure we're praying in the right way so that God will accept us. Has that been you? Have you tried to do this? Has that been the character of your faith walk? If I just do, and you know, uh, if I'm just a preacher and I preach every Sunday, then maybe God will accept me. I just want you to know, like, if those thoughts are bouncing around inside of you, that's unscriptural. It is. I love what Henry Nowen said, uh, writing about this idea. Um, Go ahead and put that quote up there, TJ. Here's what he said. He said, the great spiritual battle begins, and and it never ends with reclaiming of our, what's that word? Chosenness. He says, long before any human being saw us, we are seen by God's loving eyes. Long before anyone heard us cry or laugh, we are heard by our God who is all ears to us. Long before any person spoke to us in this world, we are spoken to by the voice of eternal love. Our preciousness, uniqueness, and individuality are not given to us by those who meet us in clock time, our brief chronological existence but by the one who has chosen us with an everlasting love, a love that existed from all eternity and will last through all eternity. Maybe you've looked at your life, your faith life, and you've asked the same question. This this class asked my dad, am I doing it right? The answer is, of course not. You can't do it right enough, right? Like some of you need to just relax. Give yourself some mercy. It's not about that. His acceptance doesn't come in that way. I saw this other quote this week. It seems so perfect for where we're at. It just simply says, I've given God a million reasons not to love me. And none of them have changed his mind. Like some of you, maybe you just need to sit with that phrase for a while. Story number three, and then we'll be done. Another great story out of Luke. Luke chapter seven. It says, one of the Pharisees this time asked Jesus to have dinner with him, an extension of friendship. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she bought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And 
It doesn't say in there. Like between 37 and 38, somehow she got in. She snuck past the guards at the door. She knelt behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him, who was shocked at this moment, saw what was happening, he said, he said to himself, this is pretty interesting, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Whenever I read that verse, I hear the voice of my mom in, in the back of my head. My mom had this phrase sometimes. She would die if I, she knew I was telling you this, so don't tell her. Um, but she would say, that's just tacky. <laughs> right? That Pharisee, he's just, that's just tacky. It's just tacky. He doesn't see her as a woman. He just, you know what I'm saying? Like, ah. And I love, like, his, his language. Uh, Jesus actually really, like, interesting stuff. He doesn't say this out loud. He just says it in his mind, right? He thinks to himself. In the very next verse here, it says that Jesus read his thoughts. Jesus knew his thoughts, and Jesus responds to his thoughts. That's a really sobering idea, P.S. <laughs> right? Now say what you want. I get to know. Jesus responds to this guy's thoughts, and, then, and his thought is, if he was really the son of God, she would know. Like, like, Jesus should know better. And in case you had any doubt in verse 47, you just fast forward a little bit. It says, Jesus says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many. What he says is, I know. I do know. I know the measure of her sin. I know the measure of her brokenness. He says, I, he, he knew her sins were many. And yet he granted her access to himself. It's the verse of the song. We sang, you sang it just a minute ago. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. He doesn't cringe or pull away or somehow shy away. He offers her himself, and he does the same for you. One final quote from Brennan Manning. Uh, P.S., if you haven't spent any time in the ragamuffin gospel, it's worth, it's worth your space. Related to this story, Manning simply says this. He says, his eyes called out to her, come Don't wait until you get your act cleaned up and your head on straight. Don't delay until you rescue your reputation, until you're free of pride and lust, of of jealousy and of self-hatred. Come to me now in your brokenness and sinfulness. Come now with all your fears and insecurities. I will love you just the way you are, just the way you are. And not the way you think you should be. In this whole season of mercy, as we share with you mercy after mercy, we've got several more weeks of this. What I want to tell you today is, like, if you miss this mercy of acceptance, you, you won't be able to receive what's coming next. 
Last week was all about entering into the presence of God. And in the presence of God, you will find acceptance. So the message for you is just as we wrap up our time is simple. Don't wait. Don't wait. Everything Jesus has to offer is available to you right now in this very moment. Do you believe that? In just a moment, we're going to have a time of communion. And if you're a guest with us, we've got tables set up around the room, three tables around the room. And it's just an important space to... uh, to chew on, to think on, to consider, to internalize. It, it's, scripture says only God has the power to change your heart. So if God is moving in your heart right now, man, this is a great place to converse with him, to share with him. It's a great place around the communion of the elements of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Like It's a great place to reconsider some of your priorities. Maybe look at your values Remember your own. So in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer and I'll dismiss you to this space. And what I would want for you is what, the truth of what I said is that God loves you unconditionally. It's a message I I want some of you desperately to hear. And once you can get that idea, once you get that message, it is going to open up a whole world of freedom for you. So I pray whatever is like keeping you from from realizing that you are accepted by God now in this moment, like man, I, I just, as I pray, I just want you to release those things. Maybe you're trying to earn it or you don't feel like you deserve it. You can't and you don't. But that's why it's mercy. It's undeserved and he offers it to you today. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word and for its power. Thank you for this teaching. I felt like, oh man, I felt like our world needs to hear this so much. God, I thank you for for your example. And Father God, I pray that every heart in this this space would would feel feel your call, would feel your yearning, would would see you, imagine you, and picture, picture you with open arms, the prodigal father waiting simply for us to return. And so, God, for every heart, for every year, I just put those words, don't wait, don't wait, don't wait. God, maybe there are those here that are just, man, they've, they haven't made the choice to be baptized or, or really commit to this thing fully. Maybe they, you know, they just held back a little bit and maybe they're right there. God, don't, don't wait, don't wait. Father God, what you have to offer life and wholeness, and forgiveness, and acceptance is available today. It is a gift of your son, Jesus Christ, of his sacrifice. And so, Father God, it may be some of us here have tried to accept this, but we haven't accepted ourselves. God, man, we're not living into the promises that you've given us. So, God, I just pray for a spirit of acceptance, for your mercy of acceptance to land heavily on us. Help us to live into it and breathe that free air. We love you, Father. 
Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his, his death, his burial, and mostly his resurrection. Bless us now. We offer you this prayer in your son, Jesus' name, and everyone together says, amen.